You are listening to the Enormo Cast. So what's your tired excuse for not wearing a helmet? Too heavy? Not anymore. Too hot? You literally wear a beanie in your sweltering climbing gym, bro. Too dumb looking? Well, you might have me there. But you know what else is dumb looking? A cracked skull. So yes, 25 years ago, all those excuses might have had legs. But Black Diamond's modern helmet shut them all down. The Vapor, Vector, or Vision are all great lightweight foam helmets that do what modern helmets should do, which is make you forget they're even on your head. And if foam feels too flimsy, check out the more traditional full plastic and suspension half dome. No matter which you choose, they all sport sleek headlamp clips, UIA rated protection, and a price point one one thousandth of your average head trauma surgery. But listen. The Royal We at the Enormous Cast really just want you to consider getting your freaking brain wrapped in a helmet. And while we'd love for you to support Black Diamond, frankly, there's a lot of great lightweight helmets out there and it's time to reconsider your prejudices for the old brain bucket. Even when you're, quote, just sport climbing. So support the Enormous Cast by checking out Black Diamond's line of modern helmets at blackdiamondequipment.com or your local shop. But if you don't find what you like there, look around. And please... Get your brain behind some foam and plastic before it's too late. The truth is that climbers live their lives off the rocks in approach shoes. Part comfort, part performance, part signaling to that lady across from you on the bus that you and the crazy free solo guy are essentially cut from the same cloth. That's right, lady on your way to Target. Don't you know I'm loco? That's why Sportiva has invented the most versatile approach shoe yet, the TX Guide. Sprinkling in DNA from their acclaimed running shoes, brilliant climbing shoes, and the legendary TX line, the TX Guide for women and men can run to the climb, climb the climb, bash down the climb, all in time to climb into your stool on the patio of your local brew pub. So if you want to walk both streets and trails like a golden climbing deity, check out all of Sportiva's approach shoes at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is August 30th, about 10 o'clock here in Central Time in the great state of Wisconsin. At the bunker up in the Northwoods, my annual pilgrimage 
to the old country, and this is episode 204 of the Enormacast, a conversation with boulderer, doctor, ninja, what else, cancer survivor, and president of the uh, Southern Maryland Youth Foreign Film and Cuisine Club, Ms. Fabia Dubik. And if you don't know who Favia is, you're going to find out. And your Instagram is not complete without following uh, Favia Feline on Instagram to uh, see her do pull-ups with cats attached to her. Cat-ups, as I like to call them. Amazing stuff over there. Amazing woman. That's who we talked to today. And uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah, we traveled across the Great Plains, the uh, family and I, including the normal child, in the new camper, the one I talked about, I think last time, uh, finished it to a certain extent, got it going enough to uh, to make it the uh, thousand or so miles here to Wisconsin in the time of pestilence, camping, uh, trying to avoid contact, that sort of thing, to arrive at my parents' house here up in the Northwoods. Managed a few pitches, a few pitches in Spearfish, South Dakota, as well as a single pitch of five seven in the Black Hills. Amazing climbing area, climbing zone, the Black Hills of South Dakota, that zone. Um, I would love to get back, but uh, we were just passing through, managed to get a couple few pitches in, in the heat and the haze from the fires in Colorado and elsewhere. And now we're up here in Wisconsin. And every year I put one of these together up here on the trip, and it's quite a daunting task because this has to be one of the most internetless places on the face of the earth, actually. It's harder to find good internet than it is to find a Joe Biden yard sign up here. My parents are running satellite because they're kind of off the grid out here. Uh, The library couldn't hook me up, really. They're closed and, you know, just pumping a couple bars out the window and uh, yeah, it's been, been a little tricky. It's always a little tricky. So don't uh, take your good internet for granted, people. That's what I'm saying. But really, people come up here, you know, to lead the uh, the good life, to relax, to uh, get away from it all. So it's always funny that I end up, you know, stressing about internet and like peering into windows of closed coffee shops and libraries and things, trying to uh, trying to suck a couple G's out of the sky to get the uh, Normacast done. Here we are. If it's coming into your ears, that means I figured it out. So let's get on to the interview with Favia Dubik. I sort of met Favia by doing an interview with her over at the other podcast, The Run Out, that I do with Andrew Bisharat. And I also had kind of wandered across her Instagram, which I tout heavily as a, as a place for uplifting videos of a woman doing one-arm pull-ups with cats is my favorite thing that she does over there. There's also the normal bouldering and, and lifestyle stuff. But uh, my favorite thing she does is, uh, you know, do sort of pike position pull-ups with cats in her lap because she's got five cats of all different weights and sizes that she uh, works out with, which is hilarious. And, and that gets us to this interview. This interview covers a lot of heavy ground because uh, Favia led an amazing life as a youth overcoming a bunch of hurdles to end up at Harvard and to end up as a doctor. Uh, But one of the biggest hurdles she overcame was uh, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at 24 and 
had a fight for her life on her hands and uh, regaining her strength, both mentally and physically, to be able to go on to have a career as a doctor, have a healthy relationship, and uh, to be a climber. So that's kind of the meat of this interview, as well as just talking to a woman who has sort of boundless energy that I stand in awe of. So as I left the fires in Colorado and arrived here into Wisconsin, only to have once again uh, terrible, terrible civil unrest going on just a few hours south of here and dominating the news while I've been here. Uh, going back and editing this interview was a, basically a breath of fresh air. I just got it a couple weeks ago, but um, I just smiled all the way through listening to it again. And uh, sometimes, you know, I've, the editing of, a, of an interview that I already did that, that has no more surprises because I've already heard it once at least when we did it uh, is sometimes a chore. But uh, in this case, I just uh, sat back and enjoyed it once again. Uh, enjoyed listening to Fabia tell her stories, enjoyed listening to her laugh, which blew the levels on the microphones a number of times, which is, you know, always good. And we talked about some hard times for Favia, but always with a, a laugh and a joke and, um, man, just a really uplifting, incredible interview from Favia Dubik. So I hope you enjoy this one. I hope you enjoy getting to know Favia if you've, if you've never heard of her or uh, are learning more about her. And again, make sure and follow what she does, at least on Instagram. Uh, but she's kind of all over the place. She's definitely uh, contributing to the community out there and uh, someone that you uh, want to run into out at the crag. In this time of pestilence, do you want to reach out to your friends, loved ones, and climbing partners with more than an anxious DM sent while slurping a soggy bowl of Captain Crunch at 2 a.m.? then why not you hit up friend of the show, Peter W. Gilroy, and send those socially distanced friends a climbing or mountain-inspired piece of handcrafted jewelry. Or maybe one of his famous titanium-tricked-out trucker caps. Yes, titanium on a hat, people. Unique jewelry, hats, money clips, belt buckles, and more amazing accessories can be had with a discount and the bonus of supporting the Enormacast. So why don't you cheer up your pals with a nice surprise that won't glitch and freeze in the middle like an annoying Zoom conversation and go to peterwgilroy.com or splitter-designs.com to check out the wares of a great artist and also a climber just like you. And enter Enormo at checkout for the hookup. So there, there's no, uh, the mystery was out of the bag on the last episode. Of course, maybe a lot of people didn't listen to that episode, I don't know, um, are coming here for this one. But uh, the Enormacast has started to do remote interviews because of the obvious things that are going on with traveling and uh, the pandemic and whatnot. I'm actually talking to Favia. She's in New Mexico. I'm up here in Colorado. Uh, we've been talking about the weather. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get started on the interview. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about good. you? <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Other than uh, we were just discussing the current events of like massive fire, uh, wildfires going on around us. Um, I'm doing pretty good, actually. This is a nice, nice place to be. So um, I just want to kind of reintroduce you. We talked about, I don't know, I guess it's been a couple months now, maybe a month and a half um, on the other podcast. I'm doing my air, my podcast air quotes, um, the run out more of a specific topic that we, we got into. But what happened after that show is a lot of people that listen to that, listen to the Enormacast. And I got emails, you know, 
saying that well, you need to talk to Favia on the Enorma cast because we just skipped over all these really tantalizing things about your life. Uh, or we just mentioned them as if it was like, oh, yeah, no big deal. You, you, know, you had cancer and almost died. And OK, anyway, let's let's move on. So there was a bunch of things that we wanted to talk about. I got some emails asking to redo this. And you've been kind enough to come back on the show, at least come back to talk to me again. Um, and so I really appreciate that. Well, I really enjoyed our first conversation, so I'm sure this one's oh, cool. going to be just as great. Yeah, and the other thing that happened is I interviewed a woman that lives down in Albuquerque as well, which also puts you back on my mind. So um, that was all the impetus for for getting this going as a as a full interview. So one of the things that I think, you know, I I, I first sort of encountered you on Instagram, um, then we talked on the other show, and and there's this like framing that I started to do in the, in my mind that I kind of want to get to about, uh, just ambition and motivation and energy, frankly, that at least, you know, I mean, the social media is a real narrow view into a person's world. Obviously it's curated a little bit, you know, you don't necessarily <laughs> post videos of you like sitting in the closet, crying your eyes out or whatever. <laughs> so I don't know if that happens, but, um, not yet. Never, not yet. Okay. Nevertheless, you know, it's a curated view of someone's life, obviously. But then there's then there's the 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 growing up. There's the the college sports. There's the climbing. There's the uh, the the doctor. You know, you're a doctor. There's all these things. I'm just like this woman is is ambitious, motivated, has more energy than than anyone I've ever met. And then you know, it's it's also beating cancer and. Um, there's so many things that have armed you, it seems like to, to take on this world as it were. Um, so can we go back to, uh, who you were sort of growing up and, um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about where that motivation, that energy, uh, was instilled to you or, uh, you know, you found it in yourself naturally or what, um, if, if we can kind of think about that as a place to start. Yeah. So I like to say that I grew up below the Mason-Dixon line, born in North Carolina, then mm -hmm. moved to Tennessee, and then moved to very, very rural Southern Maryland, um, a county that most people don't know exists and covers three sides by water, uh, St. Mary's County. Um, there, you know, there was no rocks, no rock climbing, no rock climbing gym, Hardly any sports. You had your choice of gymnastics and softball, pretty much, were your two choices. And I had started doing gymnastics when I was young, so I just kind of continued that when I moved to Maryland. And then when I started high school, I joined the track team, and I shifted out of gymnastics into being a sprinter, 100-meter, 200-meter, and uh, the associated relays. And then I continued that on in college and ran Division One track at Harvard. But during all this time, uh, I actually had a lot. I was a little, a little strange. I like to start clubs, and so my friends and I had a laminator, and we would start various clubs and laminate cards. So uh, we had the Forum Film Club, and we had our little card and. We, I had a little show called In the Know with Favia Merritt. That was my maiden name. And it showed on the local uh, public channel. And so my poor parents, they were like, can you just sit on the couch one weekend? Like, 
<laughs> because like at one point in time, I told them I wanted to start a one a one woman band, and we lived in the middle of nowhere. So to get these instruments, to get the accordion and the harmonica holder and the drum set, we had to drive all over Maryland to pick up these pieces. And that was pretty much my whole time growing up, coming up with ideas that just took a lot of work. And my parents were very, very supportive. And luckily, um, you know, they were able to support me, you know, financially with these crazy ideas that I had. But how much how much does a laminator cost? I don't even know. <laughs> a small laminator is not very much. Probably like it was like okay. 30 or 40 bucks. Okay, but I cool. mean, it was just to laminate a car that said that I was the president of a club I started <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> with my two friends. Nice. <laughs> so, so pretty much I've I've been I've had a lot of energy my whole life and and it hasn't left me yet i kind of mm-hmm. thought i might slow down in my 30s but i seem to have even more energy now yeah the fitness probably has something to do with that but we'll get to that later so you know you you you, you kind of talked about your parents being supportive but you know I, I, again kind of sort of getting to the roots of this are are you sort of an anomaly in your family are you um or or is it something you know that that was fostered by them, you know, particularly, you know, you have the foreign film club, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, that kind of thing, you know, whatever old you were, 10, 12, yeah. 20, 25, I don't know when you were laminating these club cards, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, that's the kind of thing that like comes from somewhere, whether it's a teacher maybe, or whether it's a, it's a, a parent or a grandparent, you know, where was, where was an idea that, you know, foreign films were cool. And as a club, you would, you would delve into those or did it, did it go no further than the card? Oh no, no. We met once a month and you had to cook food based on the, uh, the country of origin of the film. So we were very serious about it. I mean, <laughs> you got you got you got to help me out here because you know it's like and and I guess I'm going to you know I'm delving into sort of like stereotyping but you know rural Maryland like wh- you know where yeah. does that come from where does it bubble up that the uh, so I think little- it's it's a mixture like definitely part of me is just odd but my Mom, we moved from North Carolina to Tennessee because she became um, a graduate student. She got a PhD in neuroscience and we lived in um, dorms actually for adults who had families. Mm -hmm. So like elementary school, second through fifth grade, all my neighbors were from around the world. Um, So from Malaysia, Ecuador, China, different parts of the U.S., black, white, different races. Um, so I think that definitely had a you know an important part of me kind of recognizing different cultures from a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with my and my mom was the first to go to college on her side, and my stepdad he was the first to go to college on his side. Um, so they were you know very supportive of going to you know college and. Whatever they might not know about foreign films, but they're like, that sounds interesting. Let's we'll do whatever we can to get you <laughs> all the foreign films you want to watch um, and whatever random foods you need to cook to go with those movies. Um, so I think it was it was definitely a combination of like their 
upbringing of me and then just kind of my drive to learn about anything and everything I possibly could. Yeah, so good. Now, that we're getting to the roots. That's kind of what I was talking about because that's that that explains a, a ton um, of of you know where these sorts of things come from. Sometimes they do bubble up, you know, regardless, and and a kid just just casts themselves out. But usually, there's seeds being dropped here and there. I hope that they they screened those films because like handing foreign films over to <laughs> to, to like, little girls to watch. You know, those, I saw the, a lot. I saw yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say. They don't, yeah, the old, uh, the Belgian and the French. They don't have quite the mores that we do. No, I, I definitely saw a lot of things. Okay, all right, all right. Well, that may be part of your whole education, I guess. That's so funny. Like, oh, here's some uh, whatever. You know, like uh, I'm trying to think of that. There's a woman that's on my mind that I can't remember her name. It's a really famous uh, French actress and very, very willing to expose herself um anyhow fantastic so the college track was a super important track to you i mean what what kind of um you know what kind of schooling were you getting in a place like uh you know southern the these these counties and stuff like that to keep you on this track to college well um not very good schooling i'll have to say pretty much when i was five years old i asked my mom what was the best school in the country. Um, and she said, Harvard or Yale. And I said, well, that's where I'm going to go. So I had picked it out when I was five. And I just kind of followed a path on my own to get there. Because uh, my high school, if you were in the gifted classes, they sent you to the state school. So actually, my guidance counselors was like, don't waste your time applying to Harvard, Yale, any Ivy Leagues. You're going to University of Maryland. Like, that's just where you go. And mm. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to Harvard or Yale or Princeton. Back then, and by the time I got to high school, I was really set on UPenn. I love UPenn. But it wasn't, this wasn't something that was fostered by my school um, right. or even they weren't even trying to help me. Um, at all. Our our AP classes did not prepare me at all mm -hmm. for college. Um, but I did take some classes at the local college where my stepdad worked. And that helped me a lot, actually. So but the me going to Harvard was pretty much me deciding when I was five and not letting anyone tell me no. That's awesome. That's unreal. I hear about like, so much almost like criminal negligence from Frickin' high school counselors. It's and I don't care ac across the sort of uh, economic spectrum. I just hear so much of this, like, you know, oh, what are your dreams? No, no, no. Your dreams have to be put aside because here's what it's like. It's so insane. I don't. I. I mean, I don't hear. I mean, I hear the other one too. And and I, I think I was in between. I don't really remember my counselor doing anything, but. Um, I hear both like counselors, like really going to the bat for kids and getting them what they need. But the, the other way around seems to happen so often, just like 
get back in line, kid. Get back in line and do what you're supposed to do. You know, I'll have to add that our counselors weren't helpful, but I did have a handful of teachers who okay. were extremely supportive. Awesome. Um, and they would, you know, they wrote me great letters and they tried their darndest to get mm -hmm. me to where I want to go. Mm -hmm. So our school, my school wasn't maybe the best, but there were some gleaming flowers um, among um, some of the people who were also trying to hold you back. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, that's pretty key, you know, and it can be, I mean, such a life difference. I guess when people talk sort of wistfully about teaching in general, that's what they're talking about is trying to yes. be that person that that puts a kid, I mean, on a path to where, where you're ended up today on the yep. Enormacast. I mean, who could have, <laughs> like, how could they have predicted that? <laughs> I know this is kind of a culmination of like all the stuff for you. So you don't have to, you don't have to hide it. I um, mean, I told my mom when I was three. Yeah, I'm going to do the Enormacast. There's this thing that's going to be invented in the future called podcasting. And of those <laughs> 10,000 things, oh, and the internet, and of these 10,000 things, a podcast, this is the one I'm going to do because I've been in a time machine. Anyway, uh, we digress completely. Okay, cool. That's like my, uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to, to get at again. I've, I've created this narrative around, around this life of sort of, it, it, it sounds to me like there were hurdles, but you had such this like foundation uh, as well as innate drive that that the hurdles, you know, didn't didn't sort of keep you down. Exactly. Well, let's talk um, a little bit more than you. You ended up where um, in terms of um, pursuing, you know, what I've seen of like your collegiate sports, because that's been a big part of what I've looked at and, and found out about you on the Internet. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll have to say that running track at Harvard definitely shaped pretty much the rest of my life. Oh, wait, it, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry. I got to go back because you you were going to go to UPenn, but you oh. ended up at Harvard anyway. So what was the path? <laughs> just Let's just finish the story. Yeah. Um, the five, the five-year-old arc to Harvard. So I... <laughs> I was I was either set on going to UPenn or Princeton um, in, in high school. Okay. And th then I was applying to all the schools um, and I, I had a very limited view of what Ivy League schools were. So I only knew of like the main four um, and I, I wasn't going to apply to Harvard at all. And I was like, I'm, I'm a Princeton girl, UPenn girl, I'm not going to Harvard. And my mom's like, no, you said you run to go to Harvard. So you're applying. And she, she made me apply. And I told her as a true, like, you know, 16 year old, well, fine, but I won't try. <laughs> like, what she, was my problem? <laughs> and she, and she, and your mother was like, oh, she'll try. She can't help herself. Like, yeah. Yeah. We burned we've burned out four laminators in the last two years. Like <laughs> So so um I'm I'm so happy that, you know, she made me do that. Um and I ended up getting into you know Princeton and Harvard and UPenn. I did not get into Yale. Uh, which I was a little bummed about because I was a big fan of Gilmore Girls and Rory went to Yale. But um, after after 
I got my acceptance letters, went to go visit them. And, you know, I just didn't jive with UPenn or Princeton. And when I visited Harvard, I was like, this is, this is the place for me. And so I totally switched and um, very happy I did. Awesome. Okay. So let's go back to, uh, to running then. For the track team, I actually wasn't recruited by Harvard for the track team. I was heavily recruited by UPenn and Princeton, which I think okay. is part of the reason why I was, I was really kind of excited to go there. And they're, the UPenn track team is was really good then. But I just walked on to the Harvard track team. I was like, you know, I've been recruited by all your competitors. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys lucked out. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's how I joined the track team. Um, and I actually was really ill my first year of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a giant raging infection from my sinuses down to my teeth. My whole side was just awfully infected. So I actually quit the track team for like an hour. I sent an email to my coach and said, I'm just too sick. I can't run track. And he said, no, see you at three. <laughs> and so right. then I I went and I'm just so happy because that definitely, um, you know, it shaped me forever because being pre-med and doing environmental science and public policy, which had a lot of class requirements, mm-hmm. plus doing 20 plus hours of track team taught me how to manage my time efficiently. And I've been using those lessons I learned as like a 19 year old to this day. Yeah. And so, so you managed to keep running with this sinus infection. Um, yeah. Was, was that sort of a precursor of what was to come? Um, I guess mm-hmm. I, I kind of been sickly my whole life. So I've been having, having like infections, um, since I was about seven, okay. uh, bad allergies on allergy shots. So this was definitely the worst I'd ever had. And I, it ended up requiring multiple surgeries. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I had surgery during my first year of college and it, it helped a ton and which made the rest of my, you know, running career a lot easier. All right, so you're at Harvard, Harvard, Harvard. There you go. That wasn't intentional. Um, I don't do a Boston accent, but uh, you know, arriving there, you you had um, some designs on a degree, or uh, was was your your direction kind of decided later after you after you were there for a bit? So I definitely went in with an idea of what I wanted to do. I went to study chemistry. I don't remember why, <laughs> but that's you just what I decided was. when you were six. <laughs> yeah, like I just went into chemistry, <laughs> and we had a uh, we had so we don't have we didn't have majors at Harvard. We have mm-hmm. concentrations, so we had a concentration fair, and you went around and talked to people in the different concentrations, and they told you the requirements. And I learned that you needed upper level physics and upper level calculus to do a chemistry major mm-hmm. and physics and calculus are not my strong points they're uh, awful at them so i remember calling my mom and being like i can't be a chemist <laughs> but um being the you know a little bit of a nerd i was starting in fifth grade i have been doing science fair projects and a lot of them had been on environmental science 
And so I decided, well, I seem to kind of drift towards environmental science. I might as well try that for a concentration. Um, it's one you have to apply to get into, so I got accepted. It's kind of funny now that I chose that because I didn't spend any time outside. I've never been on a hike. Um, I didn't want to go into the forest. Like I, re I recognize the importance of saving the environment, but I always tell people I want to do it from my air conditioned office. <laughs> <laughs> and then fast forward to now where I spend all my time outside. Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess we'll have to get into that as that, that shift as well. Um, so I, I kind of lost the plot there. Then what was oh, your... So, yeah. so I, I did environmental science and public right. policy. I just okay. shifted completely from okay. the science fairs. So my plan was to always go to med school. Okay. okay so cool. even if I, because you, you can't major in pre-med. So you sure. had to pick something mm -hmm. outside of that. And then you just did the pre-med classes on top sure. of whatever concentration you picked. Okay. Um, I didn't really know how exactly I would integrate environmental science and public policy into being a doctor and I haven't. So, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. Right on, right on. So did you, did you have motivations, um, in terms of this, this public policy thing? Um, you know, were you, were you a person that, that thought, oh, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change the world. Um, or did it seem like a, you know, just a good career path? What, what kind of motivations were behind that? Pretty much uh, in Maryland, there was increased arsenic in the water in one mm -hmm. of these neighborhoods. And I just didn't really see it as like a change the world. I wanted to right. change small communities mm -hmm. um, by improving drinking water. That okay. was pretty much what I wanted to do. No big picture plans. And honestly, I like public policy because I don't like writing full sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what does that mean? You so, gotta explain that. So when you write policy, you know, you start off uh, with a sentence and then the rest are mostly bullet points. Okay. To get your point across really quickly and mm -hmm. concisely to the, you know, congressman or whoever you're writing. Mm -hmm. Um and so I was like, I like that. I don't I'm not much of a flowery language type person. Sure. Um I like direct Yeah, what do you, what are you doing now? <laughs> it's completely unrelated pretty much. Right. Um I'm a hematopathologist. So I diagnose leukemias, lymphomas, okay. and any diseases that arise in the blood and lymph nodes. Okay. Um, and do you, so you're, you're saying <laughs> you don't feel like that has a crossover uh, yet, but are, are you, uh, I mean, you're obviously helping people, which helps communities. Um, so there is, you have reached a certain amount of your goal. Um, do you imagine, have you, have you gamed any sort of ideas of the, of your future that may integrate both? Um, no, pretty much, I guess, for the environmental science part of my life, that kind of just goes with climbing part, keeping everything, like, you know, like, leave no trace, um, just trying to have the best habits I possibly can. Right, right, right. Um, so that's kind of where it comes in. But right now, I'm mostly focused on pathology for mm -hmm. um, my medical career. Right, right. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so you know, we're just kind of like going greatest hits here. Um, <laughs> and, and it's it, again, it's it's an impressive path. You know, it's an impressive path. It's full of determination. All these things are extremely motivating. Um, but at some point, uh, you and this 
probably has led to your current career choice. Um, you were diagnosed with cancer, uh, and 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 it became extraordinarily serious. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that and kind of put that into yet another, uh, you know, Favia rises to the challenge. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, the challenge of losing your life at, at the end of this thing if um, if you didn't fight hard enough. Yeah, um, that was. I guess in retrospect, I probably started getting sick in 2011 um, during my second year of medical school. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, since I'd been sickly kind of my whole life, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, well, I just get infections. That's just what I deal with. Um, but now I can kind of see that those infections weren't my typical infections. Sure. And that they were a little worse. Um, but I started. That, that's, so I guess, always, that's always been kind <laughs> of like a, a question you know, I've had, and I've had it answered in different ways of, of, and I think it's a real issue of like, how do you know, um, yep. when this is one thing and, and not the other. And, and especially with you, if you were just used to that sort of thing, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not someone who does. So I think if I did start getting, you know, repeated infections, it would be a red flag right away, but plenty <laughs> of people, you know, have issues that even, even just allergies, you know, can, right. can mask like serious stuff. So um, it's good that you sort of brought that up because, I mean, it's just like so many stories where someone's like, yeah, I just thought I was sick. And then it turned out it was really, you know, yep. one one foot in the grave sick. Um, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned allergies because that's what they were diagnosing me with for okay. like, for for a while. And I was like, I already have allergies. This is different than allergies. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me tell you, when you can't swallow and you can't breathe, then that's a red flag. Okay. You should go seek help. <laughs> Sure. So as it was at that point, probably now seven months into not feeling good, I was unable to breathe. If I lifted my arms up, like trying to climb, I like had no oxygen flow mm-hmm. whatsoever. And I couldn't swallow, like I couldn't swallow solid food and I struggled with liquids. So um, I kind of left the primary care doctors I was seeing and saw some commercials for Cleveland Clinic next day appointments. And I made like a billion specialist appointments. I was like, okay. someone will figure out what is wrong with me because this is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having problems seeing, like seeing spots, like it was, it was getting bad. And then they did an x-ray, which I had been requesting for months, but had been denied. They saw this 13 centimeter mass in my chest. Okay. And I'm a small person, so 13 cm pretty much comprises my entire chest, <laughs> my right. entire torso. <laughs> and that's why I couldn't breathe or eat because the mass was was um, pressing on my esophagus and my trachea, so I couldn't get anything in. It, so it was in a lymph node. So it okay. started in one sure. small lymph node that right. should never be more than 1 cm, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, and so it was like 13 times the size that it should have been. Um, so it just grooves rapidly. Um, mm-hmm. it's one of those cancers that isn't what we call indolent It's fast growing, which can be bad and good because some of the fast growing cancers means like fast growing, you're dead. But sometimes the fast growing cancers really, really respond to chemotherapy. Okay. Um, they're really chemosensitive. And mm-hmm. so if you get your treatment, then you have a, a pretty good prognosis. So luckily, the, the lymphoma I had um, is very sensitive to chemotherapy. You know, we've, we've been talking about this, this like 
indomitable girl, right? That that grew up just, you know, pushing aside any barrier she ever needed. Let me see if I can poke, like, get behind the 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 armor of positivity, if you will. And <laughs> I mean, what? How did you, so you finally get this X-ray? You've been you've obviously been worried and knowing something was up. Like, what was what happened to Favia that? saw this ecray and i mean did did you do the raw i'm gonna i'm gonna win thing or did did it did you end up you know <laughs> in the closet crying in a, in a ball or anything like that what what did it look like to find something like shocking is that out um especially someone who's so fit and just you know in terms of physical you you're you're you know very much an energetic physical person as well well there was a spectrum of Fabia's during this time. Sure. So when I started, I luckily, thank goodness, had like medical school knowledge of of the lymphoma I had, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very happy I didn't know what I know now. Okay. Um, <laughs> but then in med school, because they, they really kind of like give you a broad education. Mm -hmm. So you know, like the highlights, you know, this disease and the prognosis and the treatment, but you don't know all the little like small parts. So I knew classical Hodgkin lymphoma, good prognosis. Um, so I heard, um, you know, I have a, a mediastinal mass, a chest mass. The differential is a few different types of cancers. Um, and most of them had a good prognosis from my medical school understanding. So when I saw it, I, of course, was upset and devastated. But the thought of dying hadn't really didn't I didn't really process it okay. because because from my knowledge, you one of these chest or cancers, you get treatment and you're OK. Like It was mm. very naive, very, very naive. And so I went to the hospital to get the biopsy, which they told me it'd be very simple. You go in, we take a little piece of the cancer out, you get a diagnosis. Within a week, you'll start treatment. Bam. I go in, get the first biopsy. I have horrible allergic reactions to various medications they give me. I get a, a syndrome called SVC syndrome, superior vena cava syndrome, which is a, a clotting um, disease where you have clots in very large vessels in your upper body. So I look like the Michelin man. Um, and I went to the ED. I was like, I'm huge. I'm swollen. And they told me I had this syndrome. So I Googled it and Wikipedia told me over 90% of people die with it. So that was probably the first time I thought like, oh crap, <laughs> yeah. I might not survive this. Um, and that biopsy came back as dead tissue. Um, and so then I got a second biopsy. And from that one, uh, my lungs collapsed and fluid went all around my heart. And then my heart was having trouble working because of all the fluid. And I was having trouble breathing because my lungs were covered in fluid and, you know, were collapsed. And that biopsy came back as dead tissue. And so it's like every step of the way, trying to get this diagnosis um, became very difficult and life threatening. And so then I started to get like slightly more worried, but also my brain functioning was very low. Like I was so sick, I couldn't quite understand what was happening. So I still wasn't as concerned as I should have been. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then I, uh, my mom's like, well, you know, Fabia, you should try to freeze your eggs before, before this happens. And the, the doctor said, oh no, like that takes weeks. You'll you'll be dead. 
like you don't have it long to live if you don't uh -huh. get treatment. Right. <laughs> so that was kind of the first time I had understood the seriousness of this. I was like, oh, I really need chemotherapy. So then I had my third biopsy and that one finally came back, you know, as Hodgkin's lymphoma. And again, my naivety came back. I was like, oh, well, chemo, you're good to go. So I get my first round of chemo and it's actually okay. Like I actually have a picture of me. I'm smiling, like I'm getting my chemotherapy and I'm like happy. And like all my friends that, are around me. That doesn't surprise anyone who's listened this far on this podcast. It's like, obviously like they're pumping poison through my veins. Thumbs up. Yeah. So, so that was how it started. But let me tell you that chemo slowly kills your soul okay so even yours then, even mine um okay. so by by october i was just a hollow form of myself mm -hmm. i actually called i actually had a day i can't remember because i actually have um, amnesia chemo brain is a thing so I, i've okay. lost a lot of time even before chemo Mm -hmm. Um, and then a couple years afterwards, so there's like three years of my life that's all foggy. But um in October, I remember telling Brian, my then boyfriend, my then recent boyfriend, my now husband, like this is my death day. Like the Fabia Merritt that you know is dead. I am a completely different person now, a new person. I don't know who that old Fabia was. I'm not her. She's gone. So that was about three, two months, I guess, two months into treatment, I declared myself dead. Um, and then probably an another two months into treatment, I was just begging Brian to just kill me. I was like, just, just oh my end God. my suffering. I can't like take it anymore. This is too horrible. Cause pretty much my whole life was on Mondays, I would get chemo. Monday through Thursday, I would be passed out. So I wouldn't do anything. I don't even know how I really survived because I wasn't eating or, or drinking. Thursday, I would wake up in tremendous, horrible, horrible pain. Um, and I would be vomiting buckets of black sludge. Um, and then that would last for like another week. And then Saturday would come the next, the following Saturday. And I'd start feeling better. But then on Monday, I would have chemo again. And so that was my life, like Monday through Thursday, sleep, Thursday, wake up, wish I would be asleep, vomit, 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 and then repeat. And it just became too much because, as you mentioned, my whole life, I was an athlete and that is how I had gained all my self-confidence. And that's how I saw myself. And now I just wasn't, I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't open the fridge door. Um, I had to be carried sometimes on a bathroom schedule because I couldn't walk. Um, so like it was definitely a very, very hard time. Um, I wouldn't say filled with tears just because I was too sick to cry. <laughs> Jeez, but yeah. but um, it, it was I was not myself at all for those six months. And then when I finally got to the end of chemo, I kind of thought like, oh, I'm done. Once you finish chemo, you know, you jump back to who you were. Um, but that wasn't the case. After you're done with chemo, your brain starts to work again. And you can finally understand what you've been through the past six to eight months. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And you could actually kind of like see yourself in the mirror. You like you you're processing. And I that was when the tears came. It was I was really, really devastated to finally understand what had happened over the past almost a year of my life. Um, that that was probably the lowest part. Not crying in the closet, but <laughs> crying on like the streets. Brian and I went on a vacation and I would just have random bouts of just like being upset. So he was very patient with me <laughs> during this time. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's amazing. And you, you, he was just, he, you weren't married there. You were boyfriend, girlfriend at that time still. Yeah. Or had we you had gotten met- married? No, yeah. no, we, we had met just before I got sick. So like I really? moved in with, yeah, I moved in with him about four months into the relationship when I started chemo. <laughs> wow. That, that's, I mean, yeah, of course you got, you got married then. I mean, to go through that to, to, uh, wow, that's incredible. That's a story in and of itself, uh, that maybe Brian has to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. He has a I lot mean, more it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> about this time and. Yeah, so we've been through the hard part in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So we're like, yeah, we can handle whatever life brings so, us. Yeah, I mean, you're on easy street as far as a relationship <laughs> is concerned. Um, that that's out that's outstanding. What what a guy! Uh, I'll tell you that right now. Um, not everybody could have handled that themselves, um, to be honest. So, I mean, you know, yep. certainly would have reason to 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 leave. You know, someone that they just met like that. So. Yep. And he had to give me my shot. I was on shots, you oh, know, man. he like twice a day and he's not, you know, in the medical field. So he had to learn all these things, um, on the fly. So it was, it was very impressive. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also impressive. It's like, you could tell people like, you think you've got game. I hooked this guy. <laughs> this is like, then I put him through all this and he stuck around. Like, that's how much game I have. You know, like, <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so good, good on him. And, uh, yeah. So at this point, um, were you climbing at this point? Had you started climbing before? Not, not during, I'm saying, had you, had you discovered it yet? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had discovered, I've been climbing for about a year and a half. Okay. It sounds yeah. interesting. Um, so what, you know, you talked about like going so low as to, you know, wanting to be put out of your misery, literally this idea of, of, of a former self dying, which is an interesting concept and, and what it maybe did for you psychologically. But what were your glimpses of like, this is how I keep going during this thing. I mean, what were you thinking about? What were there, what were the moments that said, no, no, I, I got to keep going. Or was it just, you were on autopilot? It was a mixture. Um, mm-hmm. cause Brian wouldn't let me die and he was the one feeding me, giving my medicines. Right. <laughs> So I didn't have too much of a choice in that, but also I guess he was kind of, you know, my first like serious, serious boyfriend. And I was really excited to have, you know, to possibly, you know, form a life and get married. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause as a girl, you know, I was kind of had those dreams. And so that kind of really kept me going because I wasn't, sh- I would have liked to dream about climbing, but at that point, my pecs had both been cut. I couldn't walk. You know, the fridge was too much for me to open. So wait, 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 wait. Your frac- your pecs had been cut to get the to get the mass out. To get the biopsy, so the mass yeah. is still there. Okay. But to get the biopsy, biopsy out, they and it was so big they cut both sides of my chest. So I have um, 
you know, the, the chest tattoo I have is actually covering multiple scars from different surgeries. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's just it, both pecs just sliced open. So dreaming about climbing was seemed a little far fetched at that point in time. Sure, sure. Because I was like, I just want to be able to feed myself. I want to be able to hold a fork, <laughs> use a knife and walk. <laughs> Well, last time we talked, I joked about how motivating – well, I wasn't joking, actually, but we laughed about how motivating your, your Instagram was to me because of how terrible I am at hanging from one arm. Um, but now you just, like, you just put another – like you just like stabbed me again because it's like not only can you do that like with a plum, but you, you both your pecs were cut off at, or cut from your body one time, and like you still can do it. My pecs have never been cut. And I still can't hang from one arm with it bent. So um, this is just outstanding. Like, I mean, and and not to make light of it, but of course, one way to deal with this is to laugh about it, obviously. But yeah, it's just like an incredible thing to have uh, emerged from that. When, when When did you sort of cross over the hump to a place where you're like, okay, I actually am getting better, I think, you know, and I, and I'm, and I'm confident in this idea that I'm now getting better, you know, I'm now building again and not being destroyed. Those are two very different humps. Okay. So um, after I finished chemo that you have to wait a bit before they take out, they, they give you a device called a port and that's what you receive your chemo in. And so you have to wait a time period to make sure the cancer doesn't immediately return before your, your port comes out. But the port was the reason I couldn't walk because the port was in my leg. So it was during that period where I kind of was recovering from the chemo, but I still was waiting to get the port out that I was like, I need to do something with my emotions because I was feeling very angry that I had to deal with this. Um, So I was like, like, why? Why? Why do I have to do this? So I decided to take that anger to um, the boxing gym. As, and I never boxed a day in my life, but I watched a lot of Rocky. I'm a big Rocky fan. <laughs> so I, the day, pretty much like the day after I had my surgery to remove my port, probably about a month after I finished chemo, I walked into a boxing gym with stitches in my leg. And I was like, you know, hobbling, dragging my leg. I was like, I want to fight. And they were like, uh, you can barely stand. <laughs> You're like, you've never met me. Let's just do this. Let's get in the ring there, pal. <laughs> you don't know who I am. <laughs> but they were, you know, they, it was a Cleveland boxing gym. They were so understanding. And, you know, they said, okay. They actually, like, even though I look so pathetic, they didn't mm-hmm. say I look pathetic. They right. just said, okay, we will train you. Um, no questions asked. And, just them recognizing me kind of as a human and not kind of as a, like a sickly person really started to make me feel better. Um, And so I got personal training there uh, from the owner. And I mean, he didn't let me in the ring clearly, but (laughs) we started off with basics, you know, just trying to get my basic strength back. And a couple months into that and, and the personal lessons were, they weren't based on time. They were based on when he thought you were done. 
So whenever he saw that I was too tired, he said, okay, you're done for the day. You know, see you in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And then as I went, the lessons got longer and longer and longer to the point where he said, you know what? You're actually looking kind of strong now. You were so bad at the beginning. Right. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad you didn't tell me that. <laughs> so I did a few months of that. And probably about six to seven months after I finished chemo, I decided that I was going to return to the climbing gym. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a little confidence back from the boxing gym. Sure. But then um, I got knocked down again. So I went to the gym and I saw B0. Uh, and I was like, oh, I should be able to do that. I've been, you know, doing all these squats and, you know, lifting. But I got on that zero, couldn't do the first move because I actually couldn't lift my arms above my head because of the, my pecs being cut. I was going to say the pecs being cut. <laughs> yep. Everyone just, yep. <laughs> everyone just cringed and put their hands on their chest that are listening. I swear to God, every yeah. time that we talk about pecs being cut, that's exactly what everyone does. So try not to drive off the road, people. Like, keep your hands on the wheel. I actually, so my, my pecs have, they to this day still hurt. And even when I was like in residency, sometimes they contract and I hold my chest like I'm having mm -hmm. a heart attack. And people right. ask me, like, do we take it to the ED? Are you having a heart attack? I'm like, no, no, it's just my pecs. Just my pecs. Did some push-up yesterday. <laughs> Feeling it. <laughs> um, But yeah, so I tried the zero, couldn't do it. So I went to this, the sport climbing walls and I traversed. And, you know, I did, I spent about 15 minutes in the gym and I left. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you're done? And I said, yeah, this is all I can handle. And emotionally, that was extremely hard on me okay. um, because I was, you know, kind of seen as the strong climber in the gym. And now here I was, you know, couldn't even, you know, hang on to a jug anymore. And I, I actually shifted. It was it was kind of a dark time. I And I'm very grateful that all my friends and the Cleveland Rock Gym people all stayed with me because I kind of refused to see anyone. I I only went to the gym right when it opened at noon so I could see no one go in and do my 15 to 30 minute traverse not and not 15 to 30 minutes at one time like you know right just being at the gym there for 30 minutes um and I slowly kind of made some new friends that were at the, the noon crew um but I refused to see all my old friends and they some were upset but they they all I apologized and they, they took me back, thankfully. <laughs> um, but that's just kind of how I dealt with it, because I didn't think they could understand the new Fabia. And because I thought they kind of saw the dead Fabia. Mm -hmm. um, and it probably took me a good year to be able to climb with my friends again. But so probably about a year before I kind of felt like I could do this. For the other previous year of just trying to climb B0, it did not feel all that hopeful. Now, was that internalized um, mostly or did you get like vibe from from these people about like, oh, she's not as good a climber anymore or anything like that? I mean, it's it was completely internalized. Okay. <laughs> it was me. I mean, there were. You know, people would say like, hey, Fabia, why don't you jump on this thing that you, you would have enjoyed? Um, sure. Not thinking that I couldn't do it. Right. But, you know, it was that they weren't trying to be mean or spiteful. And mm -hmm. they were totally understanding when I said, like, I just am not there yet. It was a very, like now in retrospect, I'm like, you know, that was very silly of me. 
Um, I should not have pushed away all my closest friends. Okay. Um, but I did. But you know, it's you know. it's such this it's such this. Uh, uh, y- while you're saying that, it's just it, it's such this like paradigm in climbing to to push each other, you know, and to like not take excuses, you know. So it's I I can kind of understand why they may have made those mistakes of pushing you too far because that's it's kind of all we right. ever do, like talk each other up, like. Oh, right. I can't, I can't climb that. Sure you can. You know, it's like, that's all we do all the time. So I can only imagine that, you know, maybe they, they definitely made those mistakes a little bit with not understanding quite how, you know, far, uh, or what you'd gone through basically. Yeah. Yeah. That, so it was, and I wasn't in a mental state then to really explain it very well. Right, 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 right. I, I mean, I was just, I think if I had communicated better and explained like what I was going through instead of just like, no, I can't hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been better on all counts, but it took about a year for me to be able right. to go back to my circle of friends and climb with them. Um, I mean, I wasn't where I was mm-hmm. previously, but I was working towards it. And that's when I started getting um, more regimented in my training okay. because I was determined to get back to where I was as fast as I possibly could. And the only way I knew about that was to be just have like be very dedicated to training. And, you know, after about a year and a half, I was able to um, find the problems that I couldn't find pre-cancer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, like I'm better than I was before, right. despite all the things I've been through. Training mm-hmm. works. And that has just that changed my life too. And that's why I'm so into training because mm-hmm. I saw pretty much a miraculous <laughs> turnaround. Right. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a, it's a hell of an endorsement. I mean, you, I can only imagine, you know, you said something about when you were at Harvard, uh, all the things you were doing taught you how to uh, manage time. Um, but I can only imagine that you drew in on, on, you know, being a collegiate athlete and the training that you learned, just the methods, if not, you know, specific to, uh, to climbing, but how to be regimented, how to measure growth, how to be smart, uh, exactly. those sorts of things. Yeah. So you were like pre pre prepared for a bit of that as well. <laughs> yeah. Pre prepared. Definitely. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions here. Um, I want to finish up with this, but I, I want one more quick, you, you meant this idea of the death of the previous Favia is, is really fascinating to me. And you just brought it up again. Let me, let me talk about the differences. Well, what, what is you're sitting here now? Um, you obviously have a lot of these connections to who you were before that, but what do you think the, the major differences are? I mean, well, physically, about that? I kind of have, I've never right. really tried to put it in words. Mm-hmm. I mean, the answer physically is like, it's, it's very obvious um, because I have to be way, way more careful now. The chemo mm-hmm. messed up my ability to recover, like just like from cuts. Like if I, okay. I can't get flappers. If I get a flapper, it will be a hole in my skin for three weeks or more because uh, my skin just doesn't turn over very fast, which is, uh, you know, a consequence. Um, and Wait I tell you're 50. <laughs> <laughs> And, Your you know, paper thin skin, help me. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Sorry. I, I struggle with, I still to this day struggle with walking because okay. of where the port was. And I have so much scar tissue there right. that I, 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 you know, walking still hard. And if I don't get the right amount of sleep at the right time, 
Um, it's not even the number of hours, but it has to be during a certain like period at the night. I get infections. So okay. I've been, you know, in and out of the hospital and residency. I've had surgeries in residency for infections. So like physically, I'm even though I had I was sickly before, I'm definitely like more sickly now. But mentally, okay, so let, yeah, let's talk about the, let's talk about the headspace. That's that's the yeah. that's the interesting realm of, of the yeah. <laughs> so I am way more determined now. Um, than I was before. <laughs> Good <So>. Lord. <laughs> because <Okay. laughs> I just, I saw that if you make a plan, you think about your plan and you follow steps, it just works so well. And I mean, it's worked so well in my past. And, you know, I know things just pop up, but if you can try to plan for those things popping up, mm -hmm. then you can have plan A and plan B and plan C. And so that's just kind of how I see my life now. Right. Um, and I don't really think of anything as something I can't achieve. It's just trying to figure out what I can do to get there. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I approach my life now. Um, and in some ways I'm a little bit tougher and some ways I'm a little more sensitive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so some things kind of like will more easily hit, a, you know, make me cry, to be sure. honest. Um, if you hit one of the weaker spots, but now I kind of feel like, you know, I've overcome probably the hardest thing that I thought I like something harder than I ever thought I would have to overcome at a young age. Like we all think mm -hmm. like, Oh, we'll get cancer when we're older. We'll face death when we're older, but facing it at 24 changed my whole life perspective. And it also made me realize that you should live every day. Like it's going to be your last or live it like not your last, but live it like the tomorrow you might get a devastating diagnosis. That's going to change everything. So sure. you better do everything today and don't put it off. And that's why I live like, 18 hours every day. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, really, it's really cool because, you know, there's this idea, which is, I think, a pretty simple idea that, that we are losing as a society is that you have no idea what a person has been through or is going through. So it's appropriate to treat them, even if they're being, you know, annoying or they're being you know, pushy or they're being, it's like, you don't know where that's coming from, you know, and, and it's hard to do. It's a hard philosophy to live by, right? If someone's pushing yes. your buttons and pissing you off, you know, it's hard to step back and go, well, maybe, you know, she's had this really hard life or maybe this guy is dealing with something. So I have to be the Zen master and be cool. Hard to do, but we all understand how important it is. And I think that you have, you, you obviously now have a, a, a great and enjoyable life as yes. it is, but you know, there's no way I would look at you and in, in the very surface way that I've I've been able to get to know you and think that you had been through so much of that. You know, and it, it just reminds me that you have no idea. I mean, you 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 don't present any sort of like of these physical problems. You you don't present any darkness that comes from the place that you were. And yeah, so it's just, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of talking in circles right now, but it's just refreshing, like to know that, or to be reminded that people have these pasts that you have no idea about and, and they need to be treated with respect, even yes. when it's super hard to do, you know? Yes. Be gentle. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I pride myself in in trying to make people cry on this thing, and I haven't been able to do it yet. So um, <laughs> you're like, you just gave me an opening. Like, there's something there I can find. I can get her. I'll do it before the end of this thing. So, um, but anyway, we haven't even talked really about climbing. So, let, if we have time, um, if you yeah, have time to stick yeah, around, I do. I do. Let's talk a little bit about what, how that fits into your life. Um, you found it before the illness, maybe a, a, a Cliff Notes version of of finding it, um, and then how it fits into your life now that you uh, you put so much importance on. It sounds like uh, you know that as sort of a litmus test of of your of your sort of um, again the way you use your body and the way your physical aspects come out. Yeah, I started climbing, um, or I discovered climbing through Google, visiting my mom in Nashville, Tennessee one day, mm-hmm. Googling things to do in Nashville, and climbing came up, and I uh, liked it. I went one time, and I loved it, actually. So when I started grad school at Columbia, I went to the activities fair, and they had a climbing team membership, like a discount at one of the gyms, and I bought a year membership, only trying it once, like a few weeks earlier. <laughs> I actually went back, I tried it again, and I didn't like it. So I didn't go for my time in Columbia most of my year there, but I um, knew I was leaving to start med school. So I calculated how many times I had to go to break even, and it was about like 11 or 12, and I fell in love around session seven. And I haven't (laughs) looked back. Seven, the lucky number seven, all right. (laughs) And so now um, climbing is probably... I mean, mentally, it's the biggest part of my life. Time-wise, I wish it was the biggest part of my life. Medicine mm-hmm. takes up many, many hours. Right. But um, I am solely concentrated on climbing. When I wake up, I run through my project in my head. When I go to sleep, I run through my project in my head. At work, if I'm like daydreaming, <laughs> running through the project in my head, uh-huh, uh-huh. P- planning my training schedule. So my whole, um, you know, mental capacity right now is pretty overwhelmed with just thinking like, how can I climb better? When can I climb next? It's like climbing, 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 climbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and not, you know, it's like you, you, you're obviously involved a, a, a tremendous amount in dealing with this pandemic. I mean, you're at a hospital that's yes. that's hammered. Um, you mentioned the last time we talked that you know it's it's at least a four state area that comes into your into your hospital, including yes. um, the Navajo lands, which have been hit hit really hard by COVID. Yes, and um, so I mean, it's wild that you know you you you've got this brain that has a space still for climbing because I think. A lot of people that are sort of busy with as you are and overwhelmed maybe at times uh, by again by the pandemic and by what's going on because you're you're right in that. Um, it's great that you're you're you've got this little voice in there that's just like climb climb climb. <laughs> yeah, my my brain's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, no, this is like I mean, it's extraordinary. Cancer. It's extraordinary <laughs> is what it is. Um, yeah, and so and you're primarily a boulderer. Yes, um, a roof boulderer. Be- Part, part, yeah, roof boulder. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, roof boulder specifically. It's very, yes. uh, yeah, it's a very, there's like four people listening that are like, oh, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> you guys have a meetup. Um, yeah, so because you mentioned falling, I maybe again, the same reasons that walking is difficult, falling and landing even on a pad is 
on your feet is pretty hard. Yes. Um, that's probably more to a genetic disease okay. um, that I most likely have. I'm still waiting for my genetic results, but okay. clinical exam wise, I fit all the criteria for it. It's called Ehlers-Danlos. And okay. so your, your ligaments are really loose. And so mm -hmm. when you fall, you dislocate. Okay. Um, and so that is why I can't take falls. It's not like it doesn't matter how good the landing is mm -hmm. because I just can't take impact. I can I can right, land straight right. on my back. No problems. Um, but I can't land on my feet. OK, so if someone is spotting you. It has to be to a catch. Yeah, it has to be warned that the whole like grab them and put them on their feet thing is is yes. out. Yeah, that's kind of tricky. <laughs> yeah. You got to be careful of those really good spotters. Cause that's their game. <laughs> yeah, I have to, uh, I, um, I'm currently, um, drawing some new exercises that seem to be mm -hmm. kind of helping with the okay, impact. Cool. But right now, most of the time, if I do try something taller that I may fall on, I have spotters who are fully aware of you are catching me midair right. and then putting me on the ground. So if I can't really climb like with new people too much like i have to kind of like explain to them sure sure um, that's kind of that, what like, i was getting at i think yeah, yeah. Like, this is not like don't push me to the pad don't just like help me come down is a full-on catch me anywhere you can catch me <laughs> like, I, I can't i can't tell i can't tell are you generally small like how tall are you yeah yeah i'm i'm small i'm five two okay okay all right i yeah. honestly like i couldn't tell <laughs> One way or the other. Um, I'm the cats, a dense. You're like holding lots of cats. I don't know if those cats are giant cats or are they small cats. Or, no, right. no I'm, a, I'm a small person, which makes it a okay. lot easier. Right, right. Um, okay. Some of my climbing partners are like six foot two men. And so they just like, pluck me out of the air. Snatch you, yeah. Just yeah. gently onto the ground. Perfect. Well, cool. I, I, You know, what do you think? I ask this a lot, but what do you think? Uh, what do you think it is about climbing, you know, of all the things you've done in your life that, that is makes it so persistent, uh, at least at this time, just this persistent voice in your head that that draws you to it. It's sort of a mystery. I think this podcast has been attempting to unravel for 200 and some episodes of what <laughs> what the the jumper cables are that gets us so damn into this thing. You know, I wish I had a good answer for you because I think about that almost every day. Like, why do I enjoy straining on my fingertips? Mm -hmm. Why is that so much fun? Um, I think part of it is the problem solving. I've enjoyed puzzles my whole life and climbing is a sort of a puzzle because you just have to figure it out. And, you know, with the micro betas or, with, you know, just getting stronger. Um, I, I enjoy that aspect. And I think it lends towards my natural abilities Mm -hmm. of I was always stronger in my upper body versus my right. lower body and track. It made no sense. <laughs> um, so I think it's just a, a mixture of the problem solving and it, I like using, you know, my upper body and the, the community is also great. I mean, that's kind of what keeps you there is having you know all these people who are also equally addicted to this strange thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you have your own lingo, your own little world. I, I just enjoy meeting new people who share the same passion. Yeah, so. it, tr it truly is like this, you know, the, if you have to ask, you don't understand kind of group because I've rarely met a climber who could really, you know, not struggle to explain why they're into it. Um, yeah. And so when you're around a whole bunch of other people that can't explain it, it's um, it is refreshing. And, you know, 
regardless of the type of climbing, we've all been at the the family gatherings or the dinner parties or whatever, trying to explain it to somebody and stumbling over. And, and I've always joked that bouldering is probably the hardest thing to explain. Like you don't use the ropes. There's no top. Like, why don't you just walk up the other side? Like, you know, like it's truly like the most esoteric version, I think of what we do. A lot of people understand from like Everest, right. They can, they can like go down the ladder to, to rock climbing, you know, to getting to the top and conquering this or that. But the bouldering thing, you know, traverse bouldering sit starts, like you're getting into like totally crazy time and, uh, you don't need to talk about it with the people who do it. Like why you do it. I'm like, I like force people to talk about it and they get all uncomfortable. Yeah. So. I actually think about that question a lot, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I haven't come up with, I don't know why. Right. I just right. don't know. No. Okay. That's fine. That's a good enough answer. And, and you, yeah. you, you like, each time someone is forced to try on this show, they drop a little, there's a little bit into the, into the puzzle. Um, even if they can't just like flat out explain what the deal is. So what have, is there anything we haven't covered that you wanted to get to? Maybe Ninja Warrior. Oh, shiza. I forgot all about Ninja freaking Warrior. <laughs> okay. We're talking about Ninja Warrior. That's right. You're a Ninja Warrior. Yeah, I competed on Ninja Warrior um, for seasons 10 and season 11. It was quite the experience. What years were this? How long ago was this? Um, Last year and the year before okay. last year. Okay, so, so this 2000... is super recent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 18 and 19. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I competed on the first year with a kidney infection. Uh, on, <laughs> of course on... you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like in the hospital on Friday and my flight was Friday night. And I was like, I have eight hours before I'm getting on a flight to compete on American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> you have awesome. to give me this drug and this drug. I need this drug PO. <laughs> All right. I'm sure. I'm sure that makes me as an aside, like doctors treating other doctors must be a nightmare. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sometimes a nightmare, but sometimes it's really simple. Cause I was right, just right, like, right. I know what I need. Just give right, it to right, me. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, so that was, that was like, I was like, of course I come down with this, you know, infection that's serious that you're supposed to be hospitalized for. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm supposed to compete, but you know, I, so like, that's one way that cancer actually pried me. I was like, well, this isn't cancer. Mm -hmm. I can, I can perform with 102 fever. That's no problem. Right. (laughs) Um, but Ninja, Ninja was definitely an interesting part in my life. Um, the obstacles are very scary and they make rock climbing seem super safe. Um, but the community there again is fantastic. Like on my first, my first time competing, some of the big stars saw me practicing, um, in the, in the back and they're like, you look absolutely terrified. Like you're not just like afraid because of being on TV. Cause I actually kind of enjoy spotlights and stuff it makes me perform better yeah like from back when you were when you're running right exactly but they're like you're genuinely afraid of the obstacles i was like yes yes i am and that is why NPC um nicknamed me dr scream (laughs) this is all available on youtube by the way so if anybody wants to just google or just search youtube um, it's all there the screaming and everything yeah I'm retired now from Ninja because okay. I herniated my disc competing um, in 2019. Okay. 
Um, and so it just kind of the risk reward benefit wasn't quite there. So, but those were definitely two years of my life that were unique experiences. And you're doing that working as a, at the hospital full time. It was just another thing you dropped in yep. um, and found time to do. At a, yes, at I, a... I would actually work like from eight until seven, go to the ninja gym from seven to nine, and then go back to the hospital from like nine to 11 or 1130. And then that was like my schedule for a bit. Yeah, that's incredible. And then you're probably trying to rock climb too. And I can imagine like when you're talking about herniating your disc and what we had spoken about before. Yeah, because they, they end up hitting the pads and things at really weird angles. And it sounds like, yeah, it, it was kind of destined to be a short career for you. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of parkour, mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of, you know, running and against hard objects. Right. And that just it was super, super hard on my back. Right. And I mean, I was in I was in tremendous pain for for a long time before I even hurt the disc, mm -hmm. um, just trying to learn how to do these obstacles. So that's that's why I'm, you know, retired now and solely focusing on climbing. OK, awesome. Well, it, it, you know, it's just I feel like it's a matter of if I if I, you know, got back with you a year from now, you'd have another thing that you did that. <laughs> Uh, you know, normal people don't do. So it's, it's awesome. And, but also you'd have been like, and also I had this other infection while I was, you know, outperforming you, <laughs> but you know, I, I, how's your boxing? Did you, keep up? <laughs> Did you keep up with your boxing? No. Okay. All right. Cool. I think I we just blew the fight. mics with that laugh. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> okay well those guys will be bummed to hear that back in cleveland um but you know it was cool to have you shout out cleveland I, I know some folks up in that climbing community and it's a it's a you know it's a strange place to be a climber in terms of distance from from climbing i know someone's gonna be like no there's this sweet crag called the you know scruffy buttress down by the river blah 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 i know they do a lot of um i know they do a lot of Buildering yeah. as well, but um, yes, but it's a did. cool shout out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool <laughs> shout out to a very fervent, uh, you know, community up there, um, where you were when this all was kind of going down. And uh, I don't know if you keep in touch with those folks up there, but they do. They do get out here occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. So Cleveland Rock Gym, um, which sadly closed last week, um, is my home gym forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the owner Chris Allen, uh, we still talk, and he actually. Uh, would chemo sit me so he would come and make sure because I needed 24 7 care, right. so he would come and take care of me during the day. He would drive me to the hospital, incredible. Um, so the community, the climate community there, including the owner of the Cleveland Rock Gym, just fantastic, awesome, awesome. Well, cool, Fabia. Thanks a lot for uh, for connecting and uh, coming back to talk to me again after a couple months, and um, it's just you know, I can bust on social media all the time. And it, and it, and in the last couple of months, it's actually been this place. that's really not always been a, a great place to visit, um, for me, but, uh, but finding you on there and then leading to talking to you on the, on the, um, the run out and then talking here, it's just been this totally awesome gift. And I, I gotta say that, um, I've laughed more on this podcast than I have in a long, long time. So I really appreciate you coming on and hopefully, we had talked about me after the run. I was like, Hey, if I get down to the, 
to to Albuquerque. Let's do do the podcast because it was face to face rule, and um, luckily I've thrown that out, and it's just been liberating. So um, I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm glad you had me. I'm glad you were able to do it remotely. Yeah, and you're, she's holding a cat. Um, <laughs> we didn't mention five. Is that right? Five cats and a dog. Yes. Okay. Did you like cats more or less or the same uh, before <laughs> the previous? Before the the previous uh, more. death, more. Oh, you liked them more then. Oh, or no, you like them more now? now. Okay, more okay. now. Yeah, I was. That was going to be my guess. Yeah, that was yeah. going to be my guess. Is that your your more sensitive side has now attracted you to felines? Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Fabio. Thanks. Bye. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Fabia for making that happen. Coming to me from New Mexico, I sent her a mic, but we couldn't get it to work on our computer easily, so we just went with her uh, talking to the computer, which isn't always the best sound, but I think it worked out fine, and I wasn't going to pass up the opportunity to have her on, so we just, just fired it off and got what we got, and I tell you what. If Favia Dubik isn't uplifting to you, if if her laugh doesn't make you smile, then, man, you need your oil changed. You need your spleen emptied. Isn't it Shakespeare? Something about digesting the venom of the spleen? Yeah, your spleen's full of venom, bro. In a programming note, Favia and I did talk about whether we wanted to chat about diversity, about Black Lives Matter, about her place as a woman of color in climbing. And we actually just kind of mutually agreed that uh, the interview had run its course and there wasn't necessarily a good place for it in there. But luckily, if you do want to find out Favia's views on those things, they've been recorded elsewhere, specifically at the runout with uh, Andrew and I when I first quote unquote met Favia. We did an interview over there at the runout. So you can go and check that out to find out more specifically about her views. When the Black Lives Matter protests first started and her experiences as a woman of color in climbing are all laid out there. So we left it to that by choice. Okay, let's get out there and climb with clean spleens now. Clean your spleen out before you go climbing. That's my advice. That's going to be my training book. The Clean Spleen with Chris Kluse. Go climbing with joy, with happiness, just like Favia does. Live like Favia. We're going to change the uh, check you're not thing to just live like Favia. That's the new Enormacast slogan. Can we go with that? But also check you're not. That will be a huge achievement. And finish off these floating steps. And a yell there. I love it. She's getting fun. Fabia. Fabia.